Cheesy is sponsored by Scrumptious Reads. Australia only has two culinary specialty bookstores, and one of those is in Brisbane, world city indeed. Scrumptious Reads has you covered for interesting and unusual food books and magazines. Come in and browse the many food books on offer while sipping on a matcha mojito. We, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging as death, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in you. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass fed? Yes. Cruelty free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. Eating crackers. How about corned beef, Mr. Taggart? I'd say you've had enough. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cheesy. I can't believe you missed all that crap that's been going on for the last half an hour. Yeah, I know. Yeah, We're eating cool. lots of mashed potato. It'll be a little bit echoey. But we have a large cast this week. You want to introduce everyone, Sarah? Yeah, so we've got the, we've got the potato mashes. The mashes are. <laughs> Fleur. Hello. The lovely Fleur from Thermomix. Yeah, we've, we've succumbed to freaking Thermomix. We're going to do any we had to. We have got <laughs> Biso has made the mash me, Sean from Bucci. So we're the mashes. We've got two judges, Kira McIntosh. O'Brien now. Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> Zane, what's your last name? Hacker. I didn't know you were Zane. And Zane Hacker, who has written a book called Antarctic Sundays. And we'll get him here because I want to go and work in Antarctica, so I'm going to pick his brain. Mm. But Zane is a chef as well. So Zane and Kira are the judges. What I reckon we just start by going around and we have a, you know, online. They all look different. And need I say that the Sean's from Bucci, the chef, is very chefy. Ridiculous. He's made one that looks like <laughs> the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. And there's a pool butter. And ridiculous. Uh, I have to say, I'm not too upset about the pool butter. You can never have too much No butter. one is. And then we've got the Thermomix, which... Oh, there's a pool butter on there too. <laughs> Fleurberg has put some parmesan in because that's apparently their recipe and half a kilo of pepisaya butter. It does taste pretty very parmesan. Mm. I might have upped the parmesan in that, no? Fresh parmesan. You're keen to impress. <laughs> what else did you do? Salt and uh, pepper? Did, did you use fancy salt and pepper or normal salt and pepper? Well, no, I, I forgot my fancy schmancy salt, so it was just it was just pretty normal salt, but I cooked it in milk. I cooked the oh. potatoes in milk, oh. in um, oh. paramba milk. Mm, and then that, does that milk go back into the potatoes? It just stays in there. So you cook it all in there and then you just add the cheese and the butter and add, um, for those that um, are familiar with them, mix, you add the butterfly whisk and give it about 20 seconds and that's it. That's just not bad. I have to say this. <laughs> oh, you gosh. <laughs> I, might not be, I might not win the potato making competition, but I reckon I've eaten more mashed potato than anyone this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The chef one is very dense. It is. 
It looks a little bit like... Um, you could mould something out of that. Sean's not here, but I know it's 50-50. Mm. So he's put so 50% butter, butter, 50% potato. potato. And it was really interesting because... Oh, look at that spark walking past. Woohoo! Oh, he doesn't know that we're... Recording. So how does he... Does he... <laughs> and I want to add, Ben Williamson was invited and he yeah, piped out because he was scared. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so you should be. Couldn't measure up to the competition. Scaredy cats. <laughs> I'll pull up a chair. Do you want to? Do you want to come over and judge? I can't. Sorry. David, do you want to pull up a chair? You can come and judge. Come on. So what he did was David Sawyer's just walked into the room. Boiled the potatoes, <laughs> passed them through a sieve, and then he got a. Because I'm always interested in new ways to make mashed potato. Then he got a spatula and basically folded the butter in while it was on the heat. And he said, you can't let it get above 65 degrees. Oh, as it separates? Yep. So there's a science so, to it. So, so much fucking around off, for nothing. Off the heat, it's on the heat, it's on mashed freaking potato. Maybe yeah, you got more butter in it. So how is he controlling oh. the temperature? Oh, just in his not. No, just just by feel. Experience. Yeah. Feel. I reckon my favourite part about all of the mashed potatoes is that they're all different. Yeah. It's like variety with food, even when um, the, the types of potato, because um, I was cheating a little bit and watching the preparation were different, but the the mashing and the folding, um, I think the variety of food is so wonderful and that's why it's, um, I'm going to have trouble trying to choose a winner because they're all different. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's just it's, they've all got the same ingredients. I reckon that one would be really good with um, like a something with lots of sauce because yeah, it good. feels quite dense. It feels like it needs something right. liquid to go to soak into it. Yeah, definitely. And it's almost like it's architectural because it's mm. so dense oh. you can sort of sculpt it, which is mm. what Sean's yeah, done. I'll, I'll like definitely that. be doing that next time so, I've got people around. Yeah, in terms of like presentation, the that way that you could, the flexibility you'd have to plate things with that. Mm. You know, it's very different to the other ones that we've got there. Well, he did say you should be able to make a vagina with the potato and only at that point (laughs) is that enough. The vagina test, hey, the old vagina (laughs) test. Can we do that again? Well, he did make a vagina in the pot, got a pot and did a bit of a bag. Like sculpted it. He went, unless you can do that. That's a very realistic, thing. I have to say. I'm just, I'm like intrigued and revolted in equal measure. I just. Don't you do that in your thermomix demonstrations? And just like. I think that all the other. I think that the other mashed potatoes here would fail the badge test. Yeah, definitely. Look, mine started out a lot higher and sort of spread. Risotto like. Mashed potato or badge? Did <laughs> you have like a flash, a flashlight as a comparison at the stove? Like, how do you so know when you got it, it right? Does he carry a photo or a live model with him? That's yeah, going into dangerous territory there. <laughs> but I do a beef. I do a, um, uh, a, a beef recipe that's really sort of cooked quite quickly, and then you cut it into strips, and it's got a really nice beef um, stock and red Thai curry paste reduction, and that would go awesome with that, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, no. Anything sort of saucy would be yeah. very nice. 
smashes. We're also drinking this beautiful Dominic Forte root rosé, so sparkling rosé. Perfect match. It's just grabbed at random. Potato. But it, it's it, it cuts through the butter. Yeah, it's quite nice. Between yeah. It's perfect. I don't think that that's what they had in mind when they came up with the rosé. You don't, you don't think they're going to tag it with cheesy recommends this with all types of match? Well, I don't know. I can suggest it to them. So this... Um, the Porte family, who make wine in the Yarra Valley, they have been making wine in Bordeaux and then in Australia for eight generations. So they sort of know what the hell they're doing. I reckon they'd be happy to know that it doesn't matter what you're eating, this wine leaves you clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, that's I think one of my favourite things with sparkling wine is that... Fruit rosé is yeah. great for that. Perfect. Um, do you yeah. have wine in Antarctica? Just side, side. Sally <laughs> won't bar? go, which is none. Yeah. Do they run the bit to like people are pissed and be messy and ill behaved? With enough, yes. <laughs> like anyway. <laughs> they can't run though. They wake up in the next morning and well, they can't go just, away. You have to be careful with uh, an alcohol that can freeze, so you're better off with a cognac or something that won't freeze in minus 30. So a wine okay. or a beer is dangerous because you'd be you you could be out of the field and and then it's a tragedy because you can't get it out of the bottle. So <laughs> pretty much vodka. So yeah. a brandy or a cold climate alcohol vodka works as well. But I like I, you know, I just live down the coast and I always underestimate how much red wine I need. <laughs> even worse if you're in Antarctica. Yeah. You go, oh, six months. I'd only need this much. There's nothing wrong with overestimating yeah. all the essentials. <laughs> That is an essential. Is there a barm in there as well, or do you have to do that as well? We have a brewmaster, so we brew a lot there. Oh, really? Awesome. Because you don't want to transport large Yeah, that makes sense. Every, every yeah. pallet of food. And well, what sort of things do they make? Because like, some things fermenting them Spirit. at such a low so temperature would be difficult. Right. And ciders, and um, sometimes it's hard to do stills because they're limited of water. Mm. Yeah, it's all frozen, and it takes too much energy to to mm. defreeze de- it. Mm. But we made um, some cellos, so just the yeah. old-fashioned Italian style, so where you're just flavouring it with uh, ingredients you have. So just flavouring alcohol from uh, pure yeah, sauce, and then so it's more like a gin or flavouring, not necessarily distilling yep. from fruit. Yum, yum, yum! But it's an activity. That's, Something that's to do. Much, it really is. It's an activity that people, we would all do together. It's more exciting than like knitting or crocheting. Well, that's quite big too. Yeah. Knitting, but it is more exciting. Beanie, it's good oh. if you partner up with something and you give them your one you made to them and they'll give you one. Oh, does that mean you go and steady? Sometimes. Someone's seeing you. Roger in that beanie <laughs> yesterday. Oh. So what's the verdict, judges? Not that I'm... I'm still deliberating. Ah, okay. Because I want to go back and have the Thermomix one cold. Yeah, so it's all like cold because he made it It's a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I really, really love cheese. So I'm being yeah. swayed somewhat. Oh, I'm, I'm a big fan of garlic. Yeah. So the, the chefy one... Sean's one's growing on me more and more because it's got that little bit of garlic in it. What potatoes did you use? How's that? Dutch I don't know. I used, I was running late, so I just used That's actually what I don't like about it, the garlic. 
be all right. Yeah, but for an Italian okay. restaurant. So yeah, if it had a beautiful ragu on it or something. Yeah, that's right. It'd be fine. But see, so normally my so. standard operation when doing the podcast with Sal is I go home and I cook myself up a feed of mashed potatoes. So by doing <laughs> this, I'm just saving myself some time. It's <laughs> efficient. You're not going to go home and eat more mashed potatoes? I probably could go <laughs> eat more no mashed way. potatoes. I'm um, enjoying this one the most for flavour. Like I said last week, I, we used to go through a 10 kilo, when I first came to Brisbane, my flatmate and I went through a 10 mm. kilo bag of potato every two to three days. Mm. Mm. No more salt? No, that's, that, the flavour's good on that. I guess the thing is, like, you can sort of assess them in isolation as a plate of mashed potato. But then when, once you think about, you know, adding other food to that, because really, Perhaps Bezo aside, most people don't sit down to a plate of really? plain mashed potato. <laughs> and teenage boys. That's, that's very disappointing. It's destroying so dreams here. I was thinking of rather than adjudicating of making some mashed potato for you myself um, with some Deb. Some Deb. <laughs> so we had a benchmark. What, what, I got a little bit distracted your, with other things, so I, I, didn't, I didn't get any Deb. Well... Yes, but um, <laughs> and perhaps this is something they do in Antarctica. So, so Deb, for anyone who's not familiar, is a dehydrated potato flake product that you rehydrate to create mashed potatoes. It's innovative at the time. It's innovative. very innovative. You used to have an organisation ma- about hangovers. Mashed, mashed potato is a very loose term. Okay, to simulate mashed potato, <laughs> you add you rehydrate potato flakes. Um, it's ha- it's handy like if you're camping or sometimes if they're doing Suicidal. cheap catering for <laughs> large groups of people or if your life and your finances really suck um, and it is a quick <laughs> meal for teenagers to fill them up. That's what I don't understand. Mashed potato is easy, quick and cheap to make. Yeah. I, I don't understand. Like camping I can sort of understand because yeah. potatoes are heavy. You have to be still to take it's water. Great, um, we would use Deb in the field, yeah, um, because the potato can't freeze because it's dry, freeze dried yep. powder. It's already and freezed. All you have to do is boil water, and when you're, you're away, eating, it's like in the camping environment, you're eating. When you keep on saying a bowl, it's a great binder, <laughs> and it will bind anything together. Not, not on the ship. So what are you talking about? Exactly. But you can in a snow tent igloo. Oh yeah, you could be in a tent. Yeah. Wow. So not not or a, or not a cabin a hut, oh, wow. so, or a cabin hut. Yeah, right. That's yes. really interesting because I have used it a bit. Yeah. When I make shepherd's pie, really? I use ma- I use Deb, 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 not mashed potato, not mashed potato to top my shepherd's pie because wow. it sort of peaks and texturally it's good. But if you just added water to Deb, so you're it, more about look than taste. No, out. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you are so not going to get voted for um, now, Sally. You can, you, sledging the you can add more than just Smart. water to boiling water to mashed potato. Add butter. You can cream. add butter and seasoning and cream or whatever, and then it's quite good. Um, and you just don't want to overmix it. If you overmix it, it becomes like sort of claggy. Yeah, like glue. Which yeah, is which is essentially glue. what it is. It's just glue. So it yeah, just, just, I, I, but never, I didn't make it. Didn't bring the dab. It just can't. Can't really replicate mashed potato. No, it can't. No, like how lazy do you have to be outside of Antarctica? I get that, but how lazy do you have to be? You're right. It's just potato and. I feel potato is one of those things that I feel quite strongly about. Yeah, I can tell. (laughs) Well, here we are. (laughs) 
So I think um, as a standalone thing, eating these as standalone, assessing them without mm. thoughts of what mm. food would go with them, that Sally's mashed potato wins flavour-wise. How do you know that's my mashed potato? I think it is because you said it was lumpy. <laughs> and there's bits of skin still in it, like she didn't actually peel it properly. Well, that's not the fault, because I peeled it. I didn't do the tatters, it's late. And I have to say, I, I peeled them a lot more thoroughly than I normally would. So. On visual appeal, Sean's, the cheese in Fleur's is super. Yeah, I'm going to cut them last, huh? Um, I, I need to get, eat some more of Bezo's. Bezo does the sour cream. Yeah, I, I think the, the sour cream thing, it's, well, that doesn't do it for me. It makes it too light. Um, um, it's got no taste. It's not too light. It doesn't. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can season it. But I really, you know, a bit. I actually really, really like the texture of it. I like the lightness of it. Like mm-hmm. Sean's, I just find too dense, it's too very much. Dense. It's a commitment. And I can see, <laughs> so like looking at the techniques involved, <laughs> am I right, Bezo? You use your whisk? That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Break up. So it's going to be messy. Like, if you're thinking about like making mashed potato at home, mm. Bezo, you've used a whisk, no masher. How do you boil your potatoes? Just in water. Okay, so like boiled in water. Yeah. Until they're pretty soft, I guess. Just soft enough. And then you get a whisk and yeah. add your sour cream? No, no, butter first. Okay. Just enough sour cream to get back to the texture that I want. Okay. So sometimes I would use no sour cream at all. Right. It all depends on how much moisture is in the potato. Do you add? <laughs> we also had Angus Cole here as well. Fleur Burgers. Some. Teenage boys. Who better to Jeez. judge uh, a starch competition? <laughs> In a hey, rugby um, cap, no less. Show me down a bowl of mashed potatoes. Do you not add any milk? No, no milk. Well, sour cream chemistry was is about the same as milk. I know, I'm thinking though. Fluid, fluid, fluid. It makes it too runny, too. No, the texture's not right if you use milk. This is great. Okay, so Sal, talk us through your method. Very, Method. Very technical. Arrive late. Get pizza and potatoes. <laughs> oh, what sort of potatoes did you two use? Uh, what did we use? We use right. Dutch greens. Right. And then I just add, but I use my Tupperware whisk, which is, you know, how you get asked at Tupperware parties all the time, you've got to freaking buy something. So yeah. I buy yeah. the whisk, the mash, potato masher. Is it just a manual thing? Yeah. And then in that I put, then I heated up my milk. And in the milk, I put one little pinch of a secret ingredient, which is called pepper. Masala chicken stock. Okay, right. Get out of town. (laughs) And then I use salt and ground white pepper. That is why it is so tasty. Yeah, you picked MSG. So it has a tiny little pinch of MSG. It's the salt that that's what's attaching to my tongue. See, I don't like salt in my mashed potato. It's got to be on. I've got to feel the crunch. No. I, can, I tasted a bit of crunchy salt. Yeah. Salt loves potato. It does, potato but it's got to be over fat. the top so you can feel it melt on your tongue. I like the like salt little crystal. little flakes so of salty drugness. Salty drugness. 
Sally's just gone for direct injection of MSG. Yeah. But so you always run the risk of like that mouthful you don't get nicked. Because no, I have a, a bucket of salt on the table, so you scoop the top layer off and then you re salt. Come on, Sal. No amateur out it's here. It's re salt. It's like reloading. Um, so we did a little bit of talking before about Fleur's Thermomix mashed potato, which yep. is um, just like a huge flavour bomb of Parmesan and umami. So, like, as far as the MSG thing goes, you've just gone for the natural delivery method there. But um, how did you, you – did you say you cooked your potatoes you, – you said before you cooked them in – In milk. milk so and then this is just in. the basic Thermomix mashed potato recipe that comes in the book with every Thermomix. And it's just you, you just um, grind up like big chunks of parmesan, just grind that up to, to, to powder basically and put that aside. And then it's milk, so I use bramber milk, full cream milk, and then Dutch creams. And, um, and I cooked that down for about 20 minutes and then added um, that butterfly whisk and then just a really um, offensive amount of butter <laughs> and lots of salt and and just and, and that's it. So mm. it's all pretty young. Mm. Well, I think after tasting all of them multiple times, I think I like Sean's the most. It's growing on me more and more. But you're right, it's a food potato. Mm. It's, it's, it's just so dense. I like the commitment. Mm. Now, it's like a commitment of potato. And he was, it is a commitment. <laughs> the only the one that used a non-traditional mashed potato potato. What did he use? I'm sure that's what he told me. Yeah. Mm. You can see texturally, like this yes, is a really the waxy potato. It's something you would use just mm. so it holds its shape as a mm. whole potato, not to mash. Mm. And through a sieve, through a sieve, and then. Oh, so you used a tammy. Uh, just like yeah. a flat yeah. 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 And then he scraped it through. Yeah. Which I've never seen done before. Yeah, so many different ways. There's potato ricer. So no one used to ricer today. No. That's what I used to do when I wasn't using Deb. <laughs> I don't have a ricer at the moment. Um, but yeah, potato ricers are great. They're pretty inexpensive, like 20 bucks, something like yeah. that. They're an absolute bitch to clean because after you've yeah. mashed your potato rice. through it, unless yeah. you stick it in, in water straight away all that starch sort of sticks to it like clag and then you can't get the thing apart um but they're pretty effective um like the they're, they're, they're yeah. good but they just there's big yeah. too much freaking equipment just bloody get your thing and jesus they're going on a restaurant that's why i got a whisk so one whisk traditionally you can make mashed potatoes with a wooden spoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just break it up and depending on how you do that over, over here. You make with a bloody stick if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> when when Sal rang me to tell me if she was running late, I said, oh, do you want me, uh, do you want me to peel you some potatoes and put them on? And she goes, oh, yeah, you stick the knife in them and then they just break open and it releases the starch. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm just bullshit. <laughs> no, actually, it's funny. That is actually how I would do the potatoes as far as at home. When I do the no, I peel them and then I just put the potato in and I break it because actually it breaks the potato unevenly and it releases all the starch. Okay. Is go. that like science or is that no, just No, it is a little bit of science. Time. I don't know. Someone taught me that many, many years ago. And you know how you just do things? It's like the woman that cut her leg of lamb in half. Yeah. All the time. Why am I cutting it? Because the grandmother did and the mother did and then she did. Chefs are almost as superstitious as sportsmen. Really? Yeah, they were talking last night about a guy that he 
got one pair of pads and that's probably a wear now because he did well the first time he wore them. So now, you know, multi-million <laughs> yeah, dollar, multi-million dollar sport and this guy's so superstitious that he thinks one piece of equipment determines how well he plays. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I've never tried breaking a potato open with a knife. So. No. Mm. This stage of the game. <laughs> I do like the white, the white pepper though. That's good. Oh yeah, I like white pepper. Mm. White pepper, call me powder. I like it, flavour-wise. My my boss would love the addition of MSG. He'd be pretty stoked with that. I think MSG is good shit. Like I really like parmesan because I love cheese, but the white pepper, call me powder. That's probably the most flexible mashed potato that could do a lot of different things. Mm. Mm. The when we were in share housing and I used to make mashed <laughs> no, I'm potato. Not, I'm not going on an absolute winner there, I'm just saying. Yeah. A million different ways. One of the, when we discovered the um, fresh mozzarella, and that was one of the, put that through it. You, you basically what, lift your mashed potato? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's oh a great God. idea. So you lift your mashed potato out of it, or you almost impossible to separate it from the rest of the mashed potato because it's so, so yeah. stringy. That's brilliant. That was a good day. <laughs> that was a very good, good day. day. I like that story because it means you're preparing food and there's a lot of people that would have been in the youth in that position that go, oh, let's just whiz down to Get some this dip. place. Whereas I think, <laughs> it's yeah, whatever, I think the preparation of it, even if you're just making do with a bit of mozzarella and some potato, which might be all you had in your pantry. Cheap. <laughs> and then it gives you something to eat and you've actually had a lot of flavour satisfaction mm. while you're cooking it and you have that pre-digestion feeling of salivating before you eat it rather than just having that a mental a engagement with your food right? <laughs> filling a hole. Did yep. you ever go and get the grey box and make up big gravy and just pour that over the mash? I love gravy but not with mashed potato. Did you no, ever get to those really? mashes? No. No, that's... <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> digress. <laughs> the other favourite one was um, bacon and cashews. Or oh, in mashed potato. Oh. Yeah. Bacon, so fried cashews, bacon. not so much. And toasted cashews. Um, yeah, probably. Need that, yeah, a bit of sweetness. I think there's a lot of confidence in your dish. Oh, and you're trying, you're there's trying new things, and sometimes you've got to ca- carry that bit of confidence. You know, I do, I do a mean mashed potato. Yeah. Let's try it with this. And pretty much that's what we did in, in, in the first year house. If there was a way to try mashed potato, we'd give it a good. Do you then do them into potato cakes and fry them yeah. and then get them fried on yeah. stuff happening? Oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty good too. So you get like nice potato. crunchy outsides <laughs> on the mashed potato? Well, Christmas, um, I've never made, I've always wanted to make sort of, you know, you, what, they're rusty or hash browns, mm. whatever you, you call them. And I've never made them with egg in them before. And I did them for Christmas breakfast with grated sweet potato, grated potato egg and a little bit of flour and then some smoked salmon and a poached egg on top and some avocado. Of course. Yeah. That was wicked. That really nice. nice. <laughs> you must have had an um, important visitor coming around. That no. sounds... No, Santa. Just, Santa. Just, Santa. Just, Santa. Just, 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 I just like to eat. <laughs> Any excuse. And, the, and my boys love salmon, so smoked salmon for breakfast they thought was pretty good. Better than a piece of toast, anyway. Can we just go back to the Antarctica for a minute? <laughs> back to you, Sal. <laughs> well, I just want to know more questions. So when you're cooking, you've got to do breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's a long day. And how do you serve it? Is there like a bain-marie situation? It, 
it depends on how many people are on station on the day. So if there's a lot of people off station, so that you can have multiple field parties away, I would I try to avoid the what we call a buffet as yeah, often yeah. as I could. But sometimes when you, you are often the only chef there and when you're trying to feed 120 people, it's the only That's practical way you can actually feed people in an hour. Yeah. And every meal, sometimes like a really popular thing, I would make like have toasted sandwiches as an option because you'd have people that just come in, grab something to eat and then go again. And yeah. you wouldn't be sitting down for a meal because it's their work day. Sometimes they wouldn't come to lunch. They'd only come dinner and breakfast. Or yeah, yeah. Everyone has different eating feeding patterns, but when it's there, they would often come to eat, particularly if they've been working all that side. So, so do, you, do you have to, would you have to do a lot of food recycling, like lots of leftovers, reusing leftovers? Scrape the plates back run. into a bowl and add some eggs and turn it into a Because what, what do you do with all the waste? <laughs> so hygienic. We, we try not to waste anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've got to make do. Sometimes you'll be planning meals, but often the danger of that is you might be planning to use it. If there's any of that left over, I'm going to use that in a salad later. And then naturally, it's none of that ingredient left that you're hoping to have <laughs> left over. So you've got to sort of, you've got to be agile enough to make that decision at the time. But when you're in a, I think all the time, I don't think we have. Um, enough food on the planet to be wasting it. We have too much available and we waste a hell of a lot of it. So it would be, it's at the back of your mind that I'm um, here, yeah, don't waste any food. Mm. Sometimes a mistake is when I would waste it and I wouldn't want to serve it. Because <laughs> they do happen. Mistakes happen all the time in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Particularly when you're trying to do too many things. In a you're the only chef there for the whole time for 120 people. We have usually have one chef per fifty people, but there could be an occasion where the incoming chef is delayed. Yeah, right. And yeah, you could you could yeah. be there on your own. Yeah, I mean it's okay for a day or two, but for a year. Well, during the year, the population it decreases dramatically yeah. in March when we're coming into winter, and you and you're left with enough people on station to the caretaker. It goes into caretaker mode. And there's a lot less activity. It's a lot quieter. There might be only twenty five people there. Yeah, it's like a really fun dinner party every night. <laughs> and how most of the time? How close would you run? Like how close have you run to being out of stuff? Well, we're very good at not running out of food. So we have enough food to actually survive two years in Antarctica because yeah. we only have one food supply a year. If there was a scenario in that food supply wouldn't be able to get in due to ice conditions because it does come by ship. We would have enough food to survive. It would just year. be Deb every meal. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and we do that by having food stored in ambient spaces where we do have Deb and um, yeah. freeze-dried army ration meat. Yeah. I never knew what that was until I worked in Antarctica. Yeah, so right. even if our food store, which is our main building, burnt down, we would we had multiple food stores yeah. um, in different locations, so we had enough food. The second year, I could confidently say we wouldn't eat as well. <laughs> would be raining. Percentage of dead would go we up would significantly. So a year's food. So how much of that is fresh, like fresh, like vegetables in actual quite a large form? amount? Because I suppose it's pretty cold. It's not going to go bad that easily. Well, if you'll. Well, I discovered how to store food really well for a long period of time. In Antarctica, you don't have any moulds or funguses like we have in Queensland. You leave a bowl of fruit on the table for a week and it's crawling out the door. In Antarctica, it, the food is very cryogenic status. 
So it's kept in a dark room that's kept at a very constant temperature and we divide our cold rooms up by food types so they're not sharing spores. So we have our cheese separate in a separate room. Yeah, right. And if, if, you're, if you like a clean cold room, which is the kind of chef I am, I'll have a panic attack if I walk into a, a new job where the, I would have to spend a day cleaning the, the cold room because yeah, yeah. it is often a busy place. Mm. In Antarctica, it's paramount that you keep it very clean and keep on keep an eye on your food because you you can have some potatoes not as fresh as others. So you keep a very close eye on it. And every week on a Saturday, we would run through all of our food stores, and if we had onions or pumpkins or sweet potatoes, a different veg that has a higher sugar content, you have to use them. <coughs> so you really embrace the old-fashioned cellaring variety of how you, mm. when you ate your food at which time, so you sort of go, okay, the sweet potato, we have to use first, cabbage lasts forever, I can see why they, <laughs> oh, really? white cabbage lasts four times longer than red. Wow. Yeah, right. So, what Why you, is that, I wonder? Is it like enzymes? Sugar in oh, it's sugar, okay. Yeah. Everything awesome. I noticed was revolving around sugar, so the sweeter a vegetable or the natural sugar in it makes it just act and start Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Would, they, would they be very careful about where they bought their stuff from? Because obviously you want as high a quality of produce as you could get. Really as, as fresh as possible, yeah. And it's really hard to do that for that volume of food. Yeah, to some and you, you have a problem in temperature environments. Queensland, we're lucky because food gets dropped off, goes straight in the fridge, it's fine. Whereas in Antarctica, we're very cautious. Of, we have cold rooms that actually keep the food warm because it keeps it at uh, about plus four. Not freezing. Plus four. And if some very foolish person opens that refrigerated container that's got a temperature controller in it and the first front of it freezes, they're going to have half their fresh produce in it, as happened in the past. And it's this, you'll have a sign on a don't open this door <laughs> because, uh, yeah, a five second mistake can be catastrophic. How are you getting to get the stuff out? Uh, we move the whole container into a into a cold, into a right. in the store space and it's, it's not as cold, cold and you then ship it straight in. Yeah. A fridge that warms the food. But sometimes yeah. it would be a mistake in the past where that scenario happened. It was someone just wanting to know where this container was needing to Meant be to moved go. to mm. and since then we have nice clear labels on the doors <laughs> to um, say oh, this to one can just go straight to the green. First timer? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's fruit and veg. <laughs> so it wouldn't just be, it's not really just a chef's job, it's also like quartermaster and stock control. It, and it nearly involves the whole station, the food transport, because there's about 32 tonnes of food that has to be moved and rotate so the whole stock room has to be rotated and the food store is a freezer as well as dry store as well as ambient store and if one person had to manually handle all 34 tons of it um, it will break them in half basically so it's a real team effort and i found that moving food it's a real old-fashioned expedition thing that doesn't change that everyone becomes part of it we call it a change <laughs> oh. It makes everyone, everyone is important, and so yeah. everyone has two sets of hands. Someone will have a Nico pen riding the ear, so next year when it's rotated, it's easily identified which has to come forward and which can go to the back. Yeah, right. 
Wow. And what about things like preserves and um, and fermenting and stuff like that? Does that have a place in um, with, with when you've got to have food for a whole year? Absolutely, because you've got the you've got the cabbage to practice making something yeah. like. And I've never actually done any of that before. It mm. took some practice, but I looked up some recipes, oh let's make this. Yeah. And if it didn't work, I had enough spare that it was okay. I didn't know there was a limit to how much coleslaw everyone was willing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so trying to be a bit more acrobatic with what you do with a food type. I'm hijacking away from that. No, it's, so fan, it's, no, it's fantastic. Really it's so interesting. It's fascinating. Because I guess um, for any of us who've, say, you know, grown up on a farm or in a rural area or maybe we've grown up with, like, lots of European friends or, family or whatever, you're familiar with, like, the idea of cooking with a glove. You know, you've got yeah. a lot of tomatoes or you've got a lot of zucchinis or whatever, yeah. and so you're going through all the different ways you can cook with that particular fruit or vegetable. Um, but in that situation, like that's choice. You can still go out and procure something else or add some other ingredients to it and get a bit of variety. But in Antarctica, what you've got is fixed. So that takes the invention up another level, I would think. As well as that, you've got... I found the hardest thing was when I ran out of women's. It was so... It was almost oh, a tragedy because I still had a lot of fish. Oh, and a lot of gin. That was a lot of that. That's probably where all the lemons went. And I was stuck going, what am I going to do without fresh lemon juice? And I just used it a bit too liberally to start off with. I had very resourcefully frozen all of the zest, so I'd never waste anything. I'd zest something and then wow. freeze the zest. Yeah. And then try and work out how I'm going to put this zestiness into the large variety of fish that we had in a frozen store. Yeah, right. Because you've also got like an audience there who, you know, that it's kind of mutiny is a possibility. That <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be pretty. So do they, do they um, is, it, is being able to eat pretty much whatever's served to you one of the things that they look for in someone to go there? Like obviously if you were very picky about your food, you wouldn't last very long. Yeah, how would you go with a vegan? It's, it's tough, particularly if um, you're doing work in the field because this, uh, your physical energy comes from food and we have some uh, biologists that are vegetarian and one of, some of the hardest things, decisions that they have to do with their diet is that they have to eat a higher protein diet when you're in the field because when you're in a cold environment, you're burning kilojoules all the time by just breathing and you can't actually eat as many kilojoules in a day as what you're going to burn. When you're oh, doing outside let's get activity, there. <laughs> yeah. there's a whole other marketing walk. opportunity happening there. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's dangerous for people that are in the field for many months. Yeah, and they have to almost prepare for when they're going to be out there. Like a good well, the example we use is Douglas Mawson was he's a big man, he's six foot four, I think, and he weighed 98 kilograms, and he's very yet to be very fit in the pioneering days. When he returned after their first trip to Commonwealth Bay, he weighed 68 kilograms and enjoyed digestive problems for the rest of his life. How long was he on that? Um... They were away a year. Right. But it was a disaster. Yeah, um, yeah. He was the only person returning uh, mm. in a dog sled team. Mm. And, yeah, that losing humans, we, we struggle with famine. And I think we've 
All else That's really. a big weight change. It so. absolutely is. And the fact, the thing that got me is that he said that he had digestive problems for the rest of his life. Um, so, you know, obviously there's been some medical advances since then, but mm. for that to be the result of a year's malnutrition, yeah. um, that's that's pretty pretty serious. And the malnutrition was really only because when they lost one of the sleds, they lost the food. So there are other, like my favourite example of poor planning, or well, not poor planning, it's just they just didn't know. So the, all, all the food on the Scott floor. expedition, mm. yeah, they took like thirty-seven thousand cigarettes, but they didn't <laughs> take any food, and they didn't. There was just these sort. Of, but back then they used to say, "Oh, if you're feeling hungry, just smoke more." And every day you're just losing condition, and everyone just got sicker and sicker. I, I found that inventory so hilarious. Like, like kidding, me. hilarious but tragic. Yeah, yeah. but ended tragic. I was reading today about the way fat's stored in the body and how, you know... Where did you get time today to read about the fat stored in the body? <laughs> Are you working? But it, was, uh, it was about how your body basically resists losing fat because of, you know, things like when people used to wander around all the time. That's... That was what kept you alive. The ability to put fat on and store it and hold it for when you didn't have good mm, time. Protection. Yeah, it's, it's basically, the, and so your body genetically doesn't want to let go of the fat and it actually releases a drug into your system that that slightly depresses you when you start burning your fat reserves. Almost like a warning saying, are you really sure you want to be doing this? Why aren't you sort of keeping yourself, because back in the day, being fat meant that you'd survive, so, or having some Well, fat. it was, you know, at going back to, say, the 1800s or whatever, it was the mark of wealth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Only the rich could afford to be fat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, have some laudanum and some bacon and eggs <laughs> in, in, in bed for yeah. breakfast. That was like a, a mark of, um, you know, aristocracy. Yeah. Um, it's very obvious We're going back now. again. Yeah, yeah, let's get exactly. on that note. Let's have some more mash. How long did potatoes last? Amazingly. Ever. Really? Yes. Well, we can nice. mould. Get out. 14 months. Yeah. So what it really opened my eyes to is that if, if the consumer knew, um, if you remove the air from the environment, so this is where we have gas, you remove the air by adding gas to a cauldron, and that's why we can have carrots all year round, and that's why we can have potatoes all year round, and... Yeah, I had no idea how long you could store a vegetable, but the longer you store it, it changes. You know, the the, the, um, the cells are slowly breaking down. It still feels it's not quite as crisp. And if you have a potato that you've just dug out of the garden that afternoon and cook it, mm. and it, the texture is uncomparable to if it's three months old. Mm. Well, apples is the big one. Like a lot mm. of supermarket apples are, they've been in cold storage and they just because they try and sort of keep enough apples to have over a year, so they, they sort of build them up and, you know, the, the, it shrinks and grows and shrinks and grows. We're never really having an apple straight from the farm in a supermarket system. Yeah, and stone fruit as well. Yeah, it just goes, it sort of goes, the fresh stuff goes into the back and you get the older stuff and sometimes it's fresher and sometimes it's older, but it's never truly fresh. Yeah. I remember going out to Stanfield for work once and just grabbing a bag of apples from a you know, from the side of the road, and just being amazed at the texture and the flavour. Mm. So. Well, so so much fruit, like to me, 
apples, pears, stone fruit, they're just all about texture. Yeah. Like, you know, flavour's part of it. But if the texture's wrong, you know, it's not satisfying. No. Chalky um, apples is nothing worse. Oh, yeah. Yuck. Yuck. So when you have one that's been, like, picked, you know, you pick it or it's been recently picked, it's like a revelation. It's like strawberries can be that way too. It's like, oh, that's what that actually yeah. tastes that's like. You're yeah. just not going to get that from a supermarket. The, the first time I had peaches off my tree, um, that was just, yeah, just amazing. Wow. Because you could let them sit there for a lot longer. Mm. So, just get that pain time. Yeah, they were really, really, except the first one I had, had fruit fly in it, so I had one big bite. The second <laughs> big bite wasn't as pleasant. But, like, you're crying at the yeah. revelation of beautiful flavour yeah. that it was like, oh, what is that? And then the magnets <laughs> Yeah, they're the breaks you have when you grow your own stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, and that's why I reckon that it's it's almost criminal the way um, like fruit gets served to kids. Like I reckon if kids ate a lot of really fresh fruit, they'd probably eat a lot more mm. because it, you yeah. know, it tastes good. Yeah, they taste good yeah. and the texture would be a lot better. So. Yeah. Are we going to get a judgment? Not that I'm, you know. Yeah, we need it now. Come on. Okay, so enough. For me, as a standalone dish, the one that is most pleasurable is Fleur's Thermomix mashed potato. Mm. Thank you. Um, but as, as a, and that Take could that just a win. be my love of Parmesan cheese. But um, as mashed potato for all seasons and all dishes, like eating it with other food, as I would normally do with mashed potato, I would go with salads. <gasps> I'll share with you. <laughs> so, um, over to you, Zane. Have a sim- similar, I'm finding a winner in all of them. Yes, oh, they are all lovely. Because I love they haven't been on this podcast. We have way more judgment than <laughs> just you and me, so. I, I, I like have, these judges. I have this sort of underlying tone. When did food ever become competitive? And I was sort of in quite... Yeah. Because just last week. It's meant to be enjoyable. So, um, don't you, you don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> no, this wasn't actually a competition. It was just a way for everyone to make these five plates of mashed potato. <laughs> <laughs> Which you've, you've done well out of that. And, yeah, I think that um, the butter technique in this one is really good. Yeah, that's it, it, it limits the Sean from Beachy, yeah. yeah. Um, and the choice of potato being different, but the Dutch cream variety, I enjoyed all of the Dutch cream potatoes, but I have a weakness for parmesan cheese as well. I think everyone has a slight weakness for stuff. Like putting cocaine. Chemistry-wise, <laughs> the MSG... I meant to mention there might have been a bit of cocaine. Turn on and <laughs> something I have no control yeah. over. There we go. <laughs> it's just that pure... Like, go MSG, go MSG. Gourmet powder straight into the pleasure zone of the brain. It's almost like, yeah, total brain control. It's, a, it's an unfair chemical advantage she's got on this one. With the, with, the, with the probably less than four grams of an ingredient. Yeah, hardly any. Where do you buy that? Janelle? One of your safaris? Collet. Mm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you had to travel somewhere exotic. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for coming. I think that makes some. Yeah, yeah. So, well, officially. We're the winners. <laughs> Let's have a 
luck down next time. I'll take you on. What do you want to cook, Sal? What I want to see is the two of you ladies wrestling in mashed potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll snap you like a twig. (laughs) I'd drown laughing. (laughs) In butter. (laughs) Shoving pink sand butter into your mouth. Oh, dear, bad luck. Are you sorry about the sour cream? Oh, you know what I'm going to do. I, I, I will be going home and practicing. <laughs> so, uh, you're right, mate. You'll get over it. I, I, I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go home and cry myself to sleep. Yeah. Just sit there with a big bowl of mashed potato. I'll go home and make myself a bowl of mashed potato to cry for myself. How will you make it? I'll make it my way. I like my mashed potato. And eat the last bit of my mashed potato. That's all that matters, Big Sam. Do you want some parmesan? I've got some. You can take the butter if you want. Just a suggestion. Has anyone got anything they'd like to plug before we go? You got any Thermomix classes coming up? Uh, yeah, I've got, we've got lots of basic classes that are on our website. You put me on the spot there, I can't remember the date. There's one on the 30th and there's one on the 19th. But the big news is for all your Thermomix owners out there, if you have a demo in the next month, you can buy one of our bowl blade and lid sets for half price when there's a sale at your demo. And do you know your website address? Just thermomix.com.au. There you go. Would you like to plug your book? Well, can you buy it here? You can. It's Scrumptious Reads and James Street. Well, then you should buy it here. And there's lots of other wonderful chemicals, which yeah. it's, it's a danger for me every time. What's the name here. of your book again, Zane? It's Antarctic Sundays, and it's the best description. It's a cooking adventure in a remarkable place. Sounds yeah. awesome. It's a mix yeah. of food and colour as well. And how, yeah. to, how to manage Ooh. 12 months of food. Mm. <laughs> and everyone that lives in Brisbane, if they're listening to the podcast in Brisbane, the book was produced and printed right here in Brisbane and always will be. So something oh, wow. cool. collectively was done by a, a little bit of the city in a few different places. So. Awesome. Well done. Gosh. Wow. Fascinating. Write a book. Thank right. you. Are you going to manage it at a flop? How many of those boards have you got left? Are they on sale? Yeah, they're cheap. 60 bucks. Yeah. <gasps> they're down from 175 to 60 bucks. I want another one. Big vintage now. <laughs> the chefs just come, the chefs just come out to have a look. One have a point to sell. So. <laughs> oh, that's nice. we, should, we, we wouldn't have been able to make two of the dishes without the, With the kitchen. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Sure. Thank you, Sean. Sure sure Sorry, we should have let you win just because. <laughs> Said you leave because he didn't win. He's gone back. He probably had a service. Anything else? Angus Cold, we've got a football match. You want anyone to go and watch? It's all about rowing at the moment. 5 a.m. starts. See, I'm on it. Don't do it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.